Hi there. How's it going? It's been quite a while. It's been quite a while. It's great to uh, to be back. It's great to see all of you. And um, I do want to tell you this. It's kind of our uh, as we begin. Some of you know this. I have two kids. Uh, this is my daughter, uh, Mia. Um, it's right here. There she is. Uh, that's my daughter, Mia. She's four and a half. This is my son, Alexander. Uh, he will be two on Friday. And uh, so we're very excited about that. And then, of course, many of you know, we have another one on the way that's coming the week after Christmas. And uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're, we're thrilled about that. Now, um, my daughter has entered this stage of life. She's four and a half. She's got all these favorite shows that she watches. And so what happens is, is that um, uh, she's entering the stage of life where she's um, getting influenced by commercials and um, she's paying attention to everything, no matter where it's being said. Um, and so, I, once again, I'm noticing this when it comes to commercials. She's really paying attention to what the, the commercials have to say. And um, so the other day we were at Target and uh, we needed to buy my son Xander a new toothbrush. And so, because not he, all his toothbrush, he tends to take them places, and then we never find them until months later. And anyway, so we uh, we were going to buy him a new toothbrush, and so um, he was asleep in the stroller. And so I turned to Mia, and I said, um, "Now, Mia, which toothbrush do you think Xander wants? Do you think he wants a Lightning McQueen toothbrush or a Mater toothbrush?" Which I think is kind of weird because Mater doesn't have any teeth, and he's yet the role model for toothbrushes. That aside, we'll talk about that some other time. And um, so anyway, I, I said, which one do you think he wants? And she says, neither. And I said, really? And, she's, and she pulls out this other toothbrush and she says, Poppy, this toothbrush is for little kids who are training to learn their to learn to brush their teeth. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, because I saw it on TV. And look, it also says right here, training. And uh, and she says, so we should buy him these. And which, by the way, she bought him. She wanted to get him two of them. And uh, and so uh, now, because, you know, the thing is like a wall of toothbrushes. She says, this is the one for training. And, uh, you know, she says, so let's give me the cars ones and I'll put those back. And I didn't even know what to say. I just bought the ones she said. And then my wife was like, hey, why'd you get him those? And I'm like, well, these are for kids who are training care. You got to keep up, you know. And and she's like, oh, and I said to me, and I'm like, yeah, good. you know, so anyway, um, now, this is the thing is that all of us are influenced by things, right? And if we don't think we're influenced by things, then we're just not paying attention because we are. All of us are influenced by things and we, we just don't realize it. I don't know what happens to you um, when you hear the song Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Now I realize I'm totally dating myself. I happen to love the song Eye of the Tiger. Uh, any Survivor fans here? Bring it. Bring it. All right. All right, so I hear Eye of the Tiger, which uh, was, came out in 1982. Obviously, many of you know that from the rock movie Rocky III. Totally underrated film, by the way. Talk about that some other time. Um, and, uh, like, I remember walking out of the theater. I was nine years old. I went to see the movie with my dad. And uh, I was so pumped up. I was ready to get into a fight. Because I, when I heard that, you know, uh, and, and it didn't matter who it was, how big the kid was. I mean, I just saw Rocky got the eye of the tiger and he beat Clubber Lang. I could get the eye of the tiger and beat anybody as long as I hear the song. And so anyway, but here's the thing. If we can fast forward now, uh, uh, you know, almost 30 years later, I hear eye of the tiger. I still want to get into a fight. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's all these years later. Why? Because we're influenced by these things. 
And, and yet here's, here's the point. The point is, is that if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, the Bible should have that kind of effect on you. The Word of God, as we read it, as we take time to look at it and, and, and put it into our minds and into our hearts, it should have that kind of effect on you and me where it just pumps us up, it challenges us to step out to trust God more than maybe we had. You see, when we read God's Word, there's something that happens when we see about what God has done in the past. And we realize that God's work simply isn't past tense, but it's what He wants to do in the present and in the future. It's about what God wants to do in your life and in mine right now. I mean, look at this verse in your outline in, in Luke 17. It says this, it says, The Lord said, If you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled down by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now listen, this verse should pump us up. It should get us excited to think that we could trust God in the most difficult of circumstances. That if we can believe when things aren't going well, that we can trust the will of God, the love of God, and the grace of God, that, listen, that with faith we can move mountains. We can say to this mulberry tree, be thrown into the sea, and, and it will. But sometimes we miss out on what God wants to do because we haven't taken the time to take the truths of God's Word, put them into our minds and into our hearts, and apply them in our lives. So what I want to do in the time that we have together is spend some time in Romans 10, and if you would, turn there with me, and look at the influence that God's Word can have in our lives. Because, listen, this is the key to the transformation that we're looking for in our lives. And uh, those of you who've been with us for a while, uh, you know this. Those of you that haven't, I'm going to fill you in. But we've been in this series that we're, that we're calling Inside Out. And the idea is, is that we want to, all of us want to experience transformation. And as we want to experience transformation, sometimes we think that it's an external modification that's going to create the change, when the reality is, is that it's something internal that needs to take place that now begins a ripple effect that works its way outward. And so God's Word, listen, becomes the spark through the Spirit by which we can experience this transformation. And in fact, in Romans 10, we're going to look at three ways that God, God's Word can have this transforming effect in our lives. So we're going to look at chapter 10 and start in verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to write in your notes. And that is this. And that is that the Bible corrects my errors. It corrects my errors, your errors, our errors. And uh, whatever it is that we that we might believe that's incorrect, it'll change us and, and correct us and transform us. Even if we have this, we're passionate about something and zealous about something, it'll move us and change us and, 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 and transform us. Um, let me explain it this way. My kids um, are like pool fanatics. I mean, they, they see a body of water and they will just jump in. I mean, the kid, my kids love the pool. And um, we, uh, they, when we went on vacation... We, um, we, uh, the hotel we were staying at had this awesome pool and it had a hundred foot slide. And so 
we, um, the, Mia wanted to go down the slide, so, but she, she wanted me to take her. So I took her, went down the slide, and uh, she loved it. And so then we went several times down the slide. I was like okay with not going on the slide. Uh, but she, she wanted to go down the slide. She wanted to go by herself, so I had to go down the slide with her. And then, um, so what, what happens is, is that then my son, uh, Alexander, wants to get in on the action too. And I thought, you know, he's not even two yet. He's going to climb up the two flights of stairs to get to the top of the slide and realize I don't want to do this. So I hold his hand. We climb up to the top of the stairs. And I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? He says, yes. We go down. And I'm like, I'm sure he's not going to like it. And he start, after he starts pulling, like, let's go. Well, we want to go again. And, uh, I mean, and then the kids wanted to take turns. The only problem with the kids taking turns is I had to go down every time. And uh, so when it was all said and done, I had gone down within one hour, 25 times down the slide. I was okay going zero times down the slide, but I ended up going down 25 times. And my son at one point went down nine times in a row um, in, in, in this whole thing. And then God blessed me with rain. And uh, I was, hey, we got to go. But it's just drizzling. I know, but we have to go or we'll die. And uh, so, and so but, but here's the thing. So the other day... The other day, um, my daughter says to, to my wife, Carrie, she says, Mommy, I want to have a pool party. And Carrie says, well, Mama, that's, that's great, but um, we don't have a pool. And she says, but th- that's okay. Um, we can use our bathtub. And, uh, and because, you know, all my friends. And then, but, and then Carrie says to Mia, but Mia, um, all your friends aren't going to fit in, in the bathtub, so it's not going to work. She says, oh, it's okay, Mommy. We'll all take turns. And, um, and, and listen, that is the definition of zeal, right? I mean, you're going to have a pool party in your bathtub. I mean, you're going for it. doesn't matter what the obstacle is. You are zealous, passionate. You're going to do it. You know, you're, you're gung-ho. And listen, zeal is great. Zeal is awesome. But the problem is, is that zeal has to be based in knowledge. The problem that the Apostle Paul says about um, the, the, the Jewish people that in, in, in his time as he's looking at them, he says, listen, I'm so passionate that they might come to know Jesus. But because here's what I realize is that they have a zeal for God, but it's not in accordance to knowledge. And what he's not saying is that the Jewish community was ignorant. That's not what he's saying, because when he's saying that um, it's not according to knowledge, it could also be translated. It's not based on full knowledge. And that is that they had a knowledge of God, but their faith was simply based on the law and not did not include the gospel and the message of Jesus. And so their faith, uh, and even to this day, the, 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 the Jewish faith is based on maintaining and keeping the law. And that that becomes the basis for um, their relationship with God. And so everything is about, and that's why, and I've, I've told you this in the past, everything is about meticulously keeping the law. So when it comes to the Sabbath, well, what exactly does it mean to keep the Sabbath? When it comes to, um, well, you know, the, many of you know the, 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 the kosher uh, Jewish laws. Uh, when I was in Israel several years ago, um, there's like, well, you can't mix, you, know, you can't eat meat and, uh, and dairy together. But see, then they said, well, what happens if you are cooking and you're cooking some meat and then later on, you decide to cook some kind of dairy on there and then but and what if there's like a little bit of meat that was left? Well, see, that creates a problem. So what they do is, is that now they get two sets of dishware and they get to, you know, they have their the the the, 
dish, the, the cookware when they're going to cook meat, and then they have the cookware when they're going to cook dairy. But then it also creates a problem because what happens if you have some meat and dairy in the fridge and they accidentally like rub each other? And you know what happens when food rubs each other the wrong way. And, uh, and so then they got to go out. And then, so now in, in many Jewish homes, there's two fridges. There's two sets of cookware. If you go to a typical restaurant in Israel, there's two totally different kitchens. And because there's one that's just serving meat and the other that's serving dairy. When I was in Israel and I was there, and, uh, um, it was right after the Sabbath. And so the place was just crawling with people, people everywhere. And we were there on Ben Yehuda Street, which is... Um, the the big uh, kind of the main thoroughfare there in the old city and um, when we got there we were at a, we had a kind of a free evening so we went to a restaurant and um, the like there was tons of people smoking and whatever and so I I go up and I'm like hey can we have a table for four non smoking they're like what uh, they didn't know what that was they said would you like meat or dairy uh, so you know how back then you would say smoking or non smoking you choose meat or dairy because that's the side of the restaurant and what kitchen you're going to get food from and by the way if one guy says, I want uh, meat, the other guy says he wants dairy, it's like, well, you guys decide what you want because we're not going to mix the two at the table. Um, so you got, everybody has to decide what it is that, that, we're gonna, that, we're, that you're going to do. Now, here's the thing. So the whole idea was that we're just going to meticulously slice this to know exactly what we need to do because we've got to be, this is how we maintain our right standing with God. Now, the gospel is, is something very, very different, and that is that um, we are made right with God through our faith in Christ because we didn't he while we didn't keep the law we had failed we had fallen short of the law he fulfilled it he kept it on our behalf and listen but what i see happen with people in their in their christian faith is that they try to live this kind of legal life that they're going to be they're going to do everything perfect and that's what's going to create their right standing with god um, I was asked, I was talking to someone not that long ago, and I asked them if they were a Christian. And they said to me, they said, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. And I said, um, and my response to them was, I said, listen, if you're trying to be a Christian, then you're not really sure what Christianity is. Because, saying, because being a Christian is like being pregnant. Um, you either are or you aren't. you aren't. I've never met someone that's like a little bit pregnant. You know, you either are pregnant, 100% pregnant, or you are 0% pregnant. So you can't actually try. The same thing is true with being a Christian. Are you a Christian? Well, kind of. 25%. No, you're either a Christian or, or, or you're not. Because, once again, it has to do with someone understanding the gospel. If, and what he was saying was, and this is what the discussion became, and what he's saying is, is what I'm, tr- I'm trying to do Christian things. I'm trying to... Oh, do my life in a Christian way. And listen, that's all good. We should obey the commands of God because it's the best way to live. And God blesses us and, and, and all of that. But listen, that's not what makes us a Christian. Being a Christian is about receiving the free gift of salvation, trusting in the finished work of Christ. It's not based on our performance. So here's the question then that comes up. And that is, if that's the case, why even obey the commands of God? If it's based on his perform- Christ's performance and not mine, why do I even obey? It doesn't matter. And um, because, as I mentioned, it's the best way to live, um, but it also shows that we actually know God. When I do the things that God asks, it shows that I'm actually in relationship with God. 
I want you to write this verse down. It's not in your outline, but it's in 1 John chapter 3. It's, it's up on the screen. It says this, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil uh, who, who has been sinning from since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil And those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. You see, so listen, if we're thinking that our good deeds are going to earn us salvation... The Bible is here to correct our errors, to say the way we obtain salvation is that it's a gift. Christ freely gives it to us through, by grace through faith in him. And so, but, but what happens is, is that, well, let me say it this way, throughout the Bible, and this is, this is the error, throughout the Bible, it wasn't that, well, you keep the law and that's how you became, that's how you, you know, were right with God in the Old Testament and then Jesus came along and then it changed it. Listen. I want to say something. It's always been by grace through faith. It's always been that way. What happened is, is that the, the Jewish community, um, the, 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 the teachers and the leaders, they, they missed it. And it became about finding these, you know, slicing and dicing the laws to, to, to actually do it. No, no, no. It's always been by grace through faith. When God delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt, guess what? It, was it about Israel's righteous works? No. God saved them by His grace. It was by His grace that He brought them uh, unto Himself. And listen, and then when God gave them the law, notice He didn't say, here are my laws, if you obey them, then I will save you. No. Instead, what He did was by His grace, He saved them. Then He brought them to Mount Sinai and He said, hey, listen, you're going to be my people. Here's how I want you to live. And as a response to the fact that they had been saved by God, as a response to the love and grace of God, that they would say, of course, of course, it's the best way to live. And not only that, but you're the God who has saved us. You're the God who has done so much for us. I mean, how could we not? But see, over time, what became by grace through faith turned into a list of rules that they thought was a relationship based on works. And listen, I'm telling you this because we can do the same thing. We can turn our relationship with God into a to-do list. And listen, and that's not a relationship. A relationship isn't a to-do list. That's a list of chores. But listen, the Bible comes along and sheds its light and asks us the hard questions and says this. Are you really walking with God? Are you zealous, but is it based on knowledge? Are you trying to earn something that's actually a free gift? And the reason that we try to earn it is because then we thing and it's a a whole pride thing because then we think well i earned it because i deserve it no no no. we don't deserve it but god freely offers and gives it to us by grace through faith well he goes on in verse five this is what he says he says for moses writes about the righteousness uh, which is of the law the man who does those things shall live by them but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is to bring christ down from above Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and on your, uh, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second point, the second thing I want you to note, and, and that is this. The Bible not only corrects my errors, but number two, it clarifies my need. It clarifies my need. What, what do I mean by that? A few months ago, I had um, lunch with a friend, and we met up at uh, P.F. Chang's, uh, which, by the way, is one of like the best places in the world. Um, I told my wife that if we ever move from our house, I'm going to build a house made out of the chocolate wall. All my walls will be the chocolate wall dessert, and then I will be homeless after about a month. You know, but anyway, um, but here's the thing. So um, we, we got, to, you know, got together, and we, we had lunch, and, and then um, the, the, the server brought the bill, and he grabbed the bill, and he's like, hey, I'm going to pay for lunch, and I was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy lunch. I invited you, and so we kind of having this thing back and forth about who's going to pay for lunch, and I'm like, hey, listen, just let me buy lunch, and then you can buy next time, and if you ever want to pay for someone, that's like a good way to get it, because you say, hey, you can pay next time, and then um, the next time, if you still want to pay, they'll be like, hey, no, you said that I was supposed to pay, well, I don't remember that, but you know, just give the check to me. Anyway, so he, I, I'm, I'm trying to get the check, and he says, no, 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 I'm going to pay, and he's very, very adamant. Um, and uh, so he, call, he flags down the server, and, um, and he says, hey, and he hands him the bill, and he says, here, I want you to hold this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay. And he reaches back and realizes that he doesn't have his wallet. Um, and, uh, and so he's like, oh, oh, no, I forgot my wallet. And, uh, and so, I, so I asked the server to hand me the bill, and I said to my friend, I said, you put, a, put on a pretty good show for a poor guy with no wallet. Um, and, uh, but, but here's the thing, right? And, and it was just totally an accident on his part, at least. That's what he told me. And, uh, and, and now, here's the thing that's funny, is that we were, you know, he was having a great time until he came face to face with the bill. And then, listen, he realized that he had a need. He had a need for someone to pay the bill for him because he did not have the means by which to pay it. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible shows us what we really need. And listen, what do we need? According to these verses, we need salvation. We need salvation from our sin, from uh, our thinking that we can save ourselves, from our desire to be our own savior at times. And listen, that's what the Bible teaches is that we need a savior, that we have a savior. And, and here's the thing. And here's the thing. Um, you ever heard someone say this? I used to believe this before I became a Christian. You ever heard someone say this? Well, I, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I know that I'll be okay when it, with God, right? I mean, like a lot of people think that, you know, it's like scale theology. Um, you know, as long as, you know, one, I have one more good deed than bad, then I'm, then I'm, I'm all set. I used to believe that. Um, then I became a Christian and realized that this line of thinking is simply saying, um, if I can do enough good, then I'll be good enough to save myself. And essentially what you're doing is setting yourself up to be your own savior. Now, I want you to think about something. And then, but here's what the Bible does. It comes along and it says, here, no, here's the deal. Um, there is no, not, there's never going to be enough good deeds to make it, to make it happen. Why? Because the, the standard of the Bible is perfection. 
And anywhere you fall below that, you need a Savior to make up, to make up the rest. You see, and, and I want you to think about this, is that um, most of us look at the flood, you know, the flood of Noah, as like this really bad thing that happened, right? Because uh, everybody gets wiped out except eight people, one family. And you say, man, how can, how can that be a good thing? But I want you to notice something that, um, that, 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 that happens here. Everybody got the same information. Big flood coming, build a boat. You know what I mean? Everybody got the same, the same instructions. But the problem is, is that everyone except one family rejected the information. The information that everyone else rejected, one family responded to and said, there is a need here. Because there is judgment that's coming, and the only way to escape it is to take the Word of God, believe it, and act upon it. And once again, what happens? Well, both groups hear the Word, both groups hear the warning. One group is actually saved because they believed the Word and, and did something about it. You see, in, uh, in your notes in Second Peter chapter 2, listen to what it says. It says, And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment, so God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. You see, God gave mankind the law to show us that it is the best way to live. But it also showed us this, that we are unable, we are incapable of living up to it, which means that we need a Savior. And that's why the Bible calls us to do two things. It calls to do two things in your notes. Number one, confess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord in, uh, in verse 9. What are we confessing when we say Jesus is Lord? We're essentially saying that He is in charge. He's the CEO of your life. That He is the master and that we are the servant. You see, making Jesus Lord is not about a title. It's about giving Him the power to lead, direct, and guide your life. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then the second is believe in your heart. Believe in your heart what? That God raised him from the dead. That the cross is where my sins, your sins, our sins were dealt with and paid for. You see, when I place my trust in that fact that Jesus is the only one who can save me, that I need a savior, that Jesus is it and that he's covered it. Here's what the Bible says. You're saved. You're saved. You see, we aren't saved because our parents were Christian. We aren't saved because we're trying to be a good person. We aren't saved because we gave money to charity last year. No, instead, we're saved because we are fallen, broken people. And we are desperately in need of a Savior. And God provided that Savior in the person of Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again from the dead, showing that He had victory over that sin. You see, in the promise, the promise that we have is this. For those who would think that there's no way that God would ever accept them, is in verse 13. He says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Salvation is about who Jesus is and about what Jesus has done, not about you. You see, um, in the Old Testament, when a person had sinned and they wanted to go they had to go to the priest with a sacrifice and so they would take a lamb and they would say that it was without spot without blemish that it, this was this this lamb was was good was perfect and so then they would take it to the temple take it to the priest and here's what would happen the priest would then come out 
And he would not inspect the person bringing the sacrifice. Instead, he would inspect the lamb. Because it wasn't about the person. We know the person's a sinner. We know that they're fallen. We know that they're broken. It's about, is the lamb spotless and without blemish? Is the lamb perfect? Because that's what's going to... Once the lamb is offered, that's what's going to make things right between you and God. And so when when John the Baptist sees Jesus... In John chapter 1, and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's exactly what he's referring to. You see, when you think, but you don't understand what I've done, you don't understand the, the stuff that's happened, here's what I know. We've got to get out of this thing. Well, you see, I've done so much bad that I can't ever make it back up. That's, that's not gospel thinking. Gospel thinking is not, well, you're going to do some good and then you'll be able to to be good enough to be a Christian. No, being a Christian is not about you at all in that sense. It's about what Jesus has done. And what Jesus has done is he's the one who's perfect. That's why whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about you or about me. It's about him. What he's done, that he was perfect, that he was spotless, without blemish, that he was sacrificed for our sins, and then he rose again in victory of it. Let me give you the last one in verse 14. Here's what he says. It says in verse 14 of Romans, he says, How then shall they call on him, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Uh, who brings glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest by uh, those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, um, here's the third one. The third thing is this, that the Bible does, and that is that it confirms my steps. It confirms my steps. And that's why what we read here is that is that there's, there's these steps that God wants us to take. There's, that is that there's, everybody has to hear who hasn't heard. But how do, they go, how do they hear unless someone sends them? Because the idea is, is that if you have good news, that good news must be shared. Right. I, mean, I told you at the beginning of the message, I shared with many of you a few weeks ago, that uh, my wife is pregnant with our, with our third child. And um, when I called my dad to tell him, uh, I said, hey, there, I have great news. Um, uh, my, you know, Carrie, Carrie's pregnant and he was thrilled about it. And after a few minutes, he was asking me how my week was. And I said, oh, I was at a, I was speaking at a conference. Um, I had been speaking at a conference in Orlando that week. And I said, oh, you know, um, you might you might be interested in this um, because I know you like his books. But, um, you know, one of the speakers at the conference that I spoke at. Uh, was Rick Warren, and um, you know, and I know you like you like his book. And I said, so um, you know, I, I got a chance to meet him and talk with him. What a great guy! He seems like a really nice guy. 
And um, so I talked to my dad, and my dad's like, oh, that is amazing news. Mind you, me having a child, great news. Meeting Rick Warren was amazing news. And he's like, and then he says, well, hey, did you tell him about me? Well, what is there to tell? Well, you know, did you tell him that I like his books? I'm like, well, it didn't really fit in conversation. Hey, Rick, it's great to meet you. I just want to tell you, I have a dad. He's like, well, good for you. Yeah, yeah, and he likes your book. Uh, so do like 50 million other people. Uh, and that's like literally. And, uh, and, and, you know, now, and then he was like kind of frustrated. And I'm like, well, you know what? Uh, listen, I'll bring it up next time. You know, if we speak together again, I'll, I'll make sure that I, that, I, that I say something to him. And he's like, but you know, I loved his book. You should have told him. You know, and I'm like, next time. You know, now here's the thing. Is that good news, right? I mean, you've got good news. You've got something that you love, that you're passionate about. You want to share it. And listen, I'll tell you what I find so interesting. Um, you became a Christian because someone shared the gospel, the good news, with you. And so we, it was me or someone else. But if you're a Christian here, it's because someone shared it with you. And so the question, and here's the thing that I find interesting, is that if you actually take it all the way back, because someone shared the gospel with them who shared the gospel with you. And someone shared the gospel with the person who shared the gospel with you. And someone shared the gospel with the person who shared the gospel who shared the gospel with you. You're kind of following that. You follow, follow it all the way down. You know what you're going to get to? You can get all the way back to Jesus. Um, because I want you to think about this. Um, I came to Christ because my brother shared the gospel with me. Uh, I was sitting in his kitchen uh, in uh, 1993 when I became a Christian. And um, my brother became a Christian because this guy that he met, um, who was a, became a friend of his, shared the gospel with him, his friend, his friend Stephen. Um, Stephen was led to Christ by a guy who, got, uh, who became a Christian. He got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. Um, Billy Graham became a Christian. He, he came to know Jesus by a revival that he attended by a guy named Mordecai Ham. Uh, not the most kosher name in the world, but still, Mordecai Ham. Um, uh, now, Mordecai Ham became, became a Christian uh, at a meeting by a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman came to know Jesus through the ministry of D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists in the history uh, of, of America, based out of Chicago, uh, although he was born in the Boston area. Now, D.L. Moody came to know Jesus by a Sunday school teacher named uh, Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball shared the gospel with him while he was working at his, uh, at, uh, Moody was working at his uncle's shoe store in Boston. And um, we can keep going. I won't because I don't want to bore you to tears. Uh, but here's the thing. We can, I've already taken you back almost 200 years. Right? I mean, we, we've gone pretty far in just, uh, just, a, uh, just a couple of moments. Why? Because it's just, it just keeps going. And we could keep going and say, well, and, and, and eventually we would keep going. And then that, how did that person become a Christian? And it's no longer about this group of people here in America. Now it goes to, to another continent. Then it, all, it finds its way back to the Middle East. It finds its way probably to the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, and 12 guys. And that's, that's the thing that it happens. And that's the amazing thing about our faith, is that we can all trace it back to, to, to our Savior. And, 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 the, and the key is this, is that this idea of good news is that it has to be shared. Listen, the people that we love, that we care about, that we work with, that, that we live with, that we hang around, listen, that's why what he says in, in these verses is, how are they going to call on him whom they haven't believed in? And, and how are they going to believe on him whom they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone goes and preaches to them? And you might say, well, 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 pastor, see, I'm, you're, you're the preacher. 
and I, I'm not a preacher. I, I do something else. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a, a missionary, uh, you know, a missionary or anything like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a school teacher. Um, listen, the fallacy that we believe sometimes is that missionaries go to other countries and the rest of us stay home. Here's what the Bible teaches is that all of us are missionaries. All of us are ministers. All of us are preachers. And, um, and I'm going to let you in on another little secret. And that is this. If you say, well, I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a student. I'm just a lawyer. I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, an administrative assistant. I'm just a construction worker. I'm just a realtor. I'm just a mortgage broker. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a cop. Listen, you're none of those things. You are a minister. You are a preacher. You are a, miss- a missionary disguised as a teacher, a lawyer, a construction worker, a realtor, a mortgage broker, a banker, a mechanic, or a cop. And, 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 and listen, sometimes we get upset and we think, man, it's, it's tough where I work because I'm the only Christian here. Now, here's what, you got, here's what I want you to know. That's by design. Because before you were there, there were no Christians there. And God loves the people in your office and your workplace and your school so much that He's already did. He sent you. He sent you to live the kind of life that will cause them to say, hey, what's, what's up with that? What, what, what is it about you that's so different? That's why He says in, in these verses, um, that, that in verse 19, He says, but did Israel not know? He says, but Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. You see, sometimes and if, if you're really living for God, listen, here's what will happen. Is that some, someone, you'll, you'll be in your workplace and live in life and, and here, someone will come up to you and they'll say, what is it about you that's so different? What is it about you that you, you don't like fly off the handle like everybody else does? You don't talk the way everybody else does. You don't, you know, laugh at the same jokes that everybody else does. What is it that's so different about you? Because there's like a peace and a joy and a love the, the, which they're essentially saying the fruit of the Spirit, but they don't know the terms. They're saying that there's, there's this love, joy, and peace about you that you have that I don't have. And listen, now I'm curious. It's the same thing that Paul says, that when he talks about the Gentiles coming to know the, the God of Israel, now provoking to jealousy Israel, who thought they knew God, but don't experience the, 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 the grace of God. Because the Gentiles who received it by faith, they're trying to earn through works and they're tired and they're frustrated. Where now we on the outside look and we say, well, we're experiencing the God of Israel through our Savior Jesus. And they're like, but we're exhausted. Yeah, we're not exhausted because we're trusting in the, in the grace of God. You see, when we, when, um, when we do our job well, when we operate as a missionary in our office, in our community, on our streets, here's a, it begins to give us the platform to now begin to speak into the lives of those around us who, um, who are far from God. You know, it's funny. Whenever someone brings someone here to Calvary for the first time, um, and they, you know, maybe it's in between services or before the service, they'll, they'll come find me, and, and they'll do this thing. I, we've never talked about this, but I actually think it's kind of funny um, because they'll, they'll, you know, many of you will say something like this. Hey, Pastor Bob, this is my friend so-and-so. Um, they're here. Uh, they, we work together, and I brought them for the first time. And I wanted them, to, I wanted them to, to introduce them to you. And they'll usually do this before the service. Now, here's what that's code for. I've been sharing Jesus with them, and they're far enough to where they want to attend a church, which they maybe have never attended, so please don't screw this up. 
That's kind of what's basically what they're saying. Underneath that is essentially what they're saying. Um, but, but, but here's the thing. And here's the, here's the point. No one comes to faith in Christ without the truths of God's word being preached, whether they're communicated one-on-one over a cup of coffee or whether they're communicated through a pulpit uh, like, like this one. Listen, we don't grow in our faith as Christians without the word of God. And that's one of the reasons why at Calvary we are just so committed to teaching God's word, teaching through books of the Bible, because, listen, we want you to grow. Too many Christians are anemic in their faith because they don't hear the word of God. Um, in, in the book of Amos, uh, chapter 8, there's this fascinating passage that says this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or thirst or water, but a famine of hearing the words of God. And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east and shall run to and fro seeking the words of the Lord, but it shall not be found. I'm telling you, listen, I I feel like we're there where it's hard to find the word of God. And and, and the thing that's so important and listen, so many times because we don't know what God's word says, we're stunted in our faith simply because we don't know what God's capable of doing. My daughter and I were having this conversation uh, before she went to sleep and she wanted to know well, we were talking about um, something. And she goes, well, is that a miracle? And I said, well, a miracle is a little different. And, and I said, a miracle is when God does something for someone that they could never do for themselves. And uh, and so I told her about, you know, Moses parting the Red Sea. I talked about the sun standing still for, for Joshua and the people about Jesus feeding 5000 with five loaves and two fish. And um and so she's like, you know, wow, tell me more about miracles. You know, so we had this awesome time before she went to sleep talking about miracles. And so the other day, uh, so the next morning, we're having cereal and we ran out of Frosted Flakes, which is my cereal of choice, uh, or as she calls it, tiger cereal, and um, for obvious reasons, and we ran out. And she, she says, Dad, do we need to pray for a miracle? And I'm like, you know, because she had heard about multiple, the multiplication of food. And I'm like, well, not exactly, because... We can just go to Publix, which is across the street. And uh, and and so but listen, she hasn't gotten it down yet. But I want you to think about this. She her world has opened now to where when something hasn't worked out, we can pray for a miracle because, listen, her faith grew. She heard what God had done in the past. And now she believes that God could do something in the present or in the future. And listen, you and I might be you might be in a place of discouragement or doubt. And listen, what it could be. What it could be is that you haven't heard the stories. You haven't been taught who God is as he is revealed in the word of God. And the other part of it is this, is that is that when we hear God's word, we need to act on it. You see, we can read about trusting God all day long. but We have to put that into practice and actually trust God or it doesn't do us any good. Because, you, you know, you've heard me say this before, but only reading about trusting God and not actually trusting God is like learning to swim on the Internet. Right? You know, I mean, you can, like, say, you kick your legs and do that all day long. But until you actually get wet, like, you're not going to learn to swim. I don't care how good the book is or how informative the web page is. And listen, the, the, the key is this. My faith, our faith grows whenever we have believed what God has said and put it into practice. And whenever God has put us in a situation where now we have to believe to get out of the situation. In college, um, I, I read a book by a guy named, um, a guy named George Mueller. Um, George Mueller uh, ran an orphanage. Um, this is years and years ago. But, um, 
And God did amazing things in this guy's life. I mean, the miraculous God did in his life. God provided for him in amazing ways because he believed what the Bible said. And, uh, and he acted on it in faith. He never shared what his needs were. He simply prayed. You know, he believed what the Bible says in the book in Luke chapter 12. It says, do not ask what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For these things the nations of the world seek after, your father, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So in George Mueller's biography, um, there's one day where he runs this orphanage, and they're getting ready for dinner, and there's no food at all uh, for dinner. And so he tells the workers, they say, well, what are we going to do? There's no food. And he says, set the table and call the children in, because we're going to pray and God's going to provide. So they set everything up. They set the bowls out for the food, but there is no food. There's no food. Not like, oh, you know, there's just a little. No, no, no. There's no food. They put the plates out, the forks, the knives, everything, the serving trays, everything, but there's no food. And then he says, okay, call the children. They call the children around the table where there is no food. All there are plates and utensils. And he says, all right, let's pray. Pray for what? You know, think. But he says, all right, let's pray. So they pray. And as he's praying, thanking God for the food that he's going to provide, there's a knock on the door. There's a knock on the door, and they, the, uh, Mueller opens the door, and it's this guy dressed in a uniform, and he says, can I help you? And he says, yes, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a delivery driver, and I, I work for a bread company, and my delivery truck just broke down in front of your, your place here. And uh, by the time someone gets out here to, to you know, m- move my, my truck and all that, um, all this food is going to go bad. So do you guys have a need of any extra food here? And yeah, sure. They clean the guy out. Uh, you know, and they, everybody, everybody had, had dinner. Why? And, and the whole thing is this. He read the word. He believed the word. And God worked because of his faith. Um, and, and it's an amazing thing that happens. And in my, the story of my, my wife and I, we were first married, same thing. And, and in my life presently, same thing. Listen, we can, the way that we trust is by trusting. That's why he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, your faith grows when you hear God's word and then act on it. And you know what will happen? The areas of your life that you say, I'm going to trust God, here's what's going to happen. God's going to show up. Your faith is going to grow, and then you're going to see God work in ways that you never thought possible. Simply because you read the scriptures and you said, you know what? If God did it then, he could do it now. The same God that that the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it for them, he could do it for me because the Bible says this, that Elijah was a man just like us. No different. In fact, literally it says that Elijah was a man of like passions to you and I. And yet if God would do the miraculous with him, it's so possible that God would do the very same and work in a miraculous way for us. So listen, if you're here and you're a Christian, here's God's word for us. You let the Bible influence you. You let the Bible influence you by reading it, by putting it in your mind, in your heart, and then acting on it. And saying, you know what, God, these people trusted you and you showed up. I'm going to trust you, believing that you're going to show up as well. And if you're here and you aren't a Christian, and you say, well, I haven't taken that step yet, then here's what the Bible would say. That listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That we can stop trying to save ourselves and be our own Savior, but instead we can experience the salvation that He offers by grace through faith in Christ. Let's pray together. And Lord, thank You for 
your word, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can cut between the thoughts and intents of the heart, that your word is alive and active. God, we simply have to open ourselves and avail ourselves to the truths of your word that we might trust you in the world in which we live. God, help us that we might trust you even more. In Jesus' name, amen.